Now, uh, how many were here last week? Oh, wow, just about everybody. That's awesome. Well, you know what? What I'm going to do then is uh, continuing our message on uh, overcoming anxiety and fear. And last week was part one. And since so many folks have been here, uh, we're here for part one. I'm going to do a real quick review of what we did last week. And then we're going to tackle the next part of, uh, of the message, which is going to be this week. So before we do that, let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for each person who's here. Thank you that we are your kids, your sons and daughters, that you have a divine purpose for us that includes goodness, health, wellness, prospering in every area of our lives. And we just uh, invite your presence to guide and direct us, stir people's hearts, and even now, Lord, that by your presence, you're going to make changes in lives. Bless each one. Amen. Last week, we looked at the fact that God wants us healthy and well, and he wants us to prosper in every area of our lives, just as our soul prospers. And we talked about our soul being our our thoughts, our emotions, our passions, our decision-making, and that all of that is part of what God wants to be uh, in a good place in our lives because it has a direct impact on our health. And we talked about the most uh, experienced emotion, which was fear and anxiety, and that fear and anxiety, we were not designed for that, that fear and anxiety over a long term uh, produces a lot of unhealthy things, that worry, anxiety, fear, same animal, different size, and that uh, God wants us to be free of it because lots of health issues come from it cardiovascular disease, digestive issues, and a bunch of others. And the bottom line is is that God wants us to be free. And that's why Jesus tells us, um, don't worry. In fact, what he says is, because God is in the equation, don't worry. And God loves you, and he's in the equation, and Jesus doesn't want us to worry, because if God's in the equation, it changes the outcome. And, and we looked at this slide, Oswald Chambers, who said that all our fret and worry is caused by calculating without God. So when we're trying to do life, and we don't include God in the calculation, the outcome is worry. And Jesus wants us to be free of worry because he wants us to be healthy in every area of our lives. We ended the last uh, meeting with uh, Philippians that uh, tells us that if we're anxious, it's first it's like don't be anxious, but if you are, go to God. And so the starting point is acknowledging the truth to God and saying, God, I'm struggling, I'm hurting, I'm experiencing this, I don't know what to do about it, help me. And that we can be thankful that God hears us. Because as his kid, he hears us. And if he hears us and he loves us, which he does, then he's going to help us walk through it. Which brings us to today. Overcoming anxiety and fear. Victory over giants. A giant is anything that stands between you and the divine destiny and purpose that God has for you. We talked about um, Israel had a divine destiny with God. He gave them an inheritance, the promised land. And when they came out of Egypt, they came right to the edge of the promised land and they were about to step in to the purposes that God had for them. And what was there? Giants. 
And giants keep us from walking in our inheritance. And the fact is this, that many times we have to fight to enter into what God has for us. It doesn't just happen by being docile and by taking um, no action in activity. We actually need to be active in pursuing what God has in order to live in his fullness. And maybe there's some people here today and you've had anxiety and you've had worry and you've had fears and it's just paralyzed you. The good news is is that God wants you to walk through that and he's going to help you do it, but you're going to have to take some action. And so we're going to look at today about how some of that happens. The theme for what... um, your church has been studying comes out of Romans, talks about being more than a conqueror. So it's not just okay to survive, but God wants us to be more than that. He wants us to enjoy the ride of being a a, a child of the king. And there's a few ways that that happens through transforming our thinking in Romans 12. So God wants us to think healthy through our behavior, putting off old ways that are unhealthy, replacing them with new. That's in Ephesians. So he wants to change our behavior. And then he wants us to experience peace, joy. He wants our emotions and our feelings to come online. So there's three areas, our thoughts, behaviors, and feelings that are all interconnected. And this diagram shows how they work. And so in dealing with worry and anxiety, we need to understand how that shows up in our lives. And there's a connectedness between our feelings, that's at the top, and what we do, our behavior, and our thoughts, our thinking, or our cognition. And these three areas are interrelated and they affect each other. That's why the arrows go both ways. So what we feel affects our behavior. So if we feel tired, we usually don't act as energetic. We don't, uh, we're not as, uh, um, you know, moving around as much. We're not doing as many things as when we're rested. Or when we're tired, we probably, a lot of times, we kind of have some negative thinking. We're irritable. We're cranky. We look on the negative instead of the positive. It affects our thoughts. When we're thinking that way, then a lot of times then we feel kind of negative and we, um, our feelings kind of come online with that negative thinking and behavior. And so there's this whole cycle that starts to happen. And what you need to know is that over time, a change in one area produces a change in the other. So if you start thinking a certain way long enough, it affects what you're feeling and what you're going to do. If you start doing something long enough, it will affect what you think about it and how you feel. If you feel something long enough, it affects what you're doing and what you're thinking. These things are interrelated. And let me give you an example of this. Imagine for a second that um, I got attacked by a dog. Let's say when I was a kid that I had an experience with the dog, it was a horrible experience. The dog attacked me, bit me, hurt me, and so I had this traumatic experience with this dog that emotionally was just overwhelmed with fear that there was pain, that as a result of that, I learned and discovered that dogs are bad, that, they're, that they hurt you, that you need to stay away from them. And so one way to, to, to look at that is that in this model here that I experienced 
being attacked that led to the fears and the hurt and the pain that resulted in thinking and concluding that dogs are bad, that they hurt you, and that was consistent with the truth of my experience. And so that now as a result of that, because dogs are bad, they're unhealthy, they hurt you, I made the decision to avoid dogs for my whole life. And so here I stand before you, 2014, here we are, last weekend in September, and I have not seen a dog for 30 years. And then something happens. Somebody brings in this dog. Now this dog is actually a seeing eye dog for the blind. You can tell by the little harness. Now, um, for those who know, seeing eye dogs are just amazing animals. I mean, they screen these animals. They're temperament tested. They're highly trained. They're just phenomenal, phenomenal animals that you can bring in any situation, and it's not going to harm anybody. So the truth is, this is a, a safe, healthy, nice dog. Now, my experience says something different. See, my experience says dogs are bad. And so my mind is saying dogs are bad. I see the dog. My eyes, behaviorally, I'm experiencing this. It's triggering emotions of, uh, of anxiety, of fear, of worry. Something bad's going to happen. This dog's going to attack me. Adrenaline starts pumping in my body. That's now making me think I need to do something because the panic is starting. And so I run and I jump off the stage to get away from the seeing eye dog and I end up like hurting myself or whatever and um, not a good outcome. But in my mind better outcome than dealing with this horrible dangerous situation now question was i in any danger from the seeing eye dog no no there's no danger see the reality is that there's no danger however in my experience i believed i was in danger and guess what i actually did experience fear I actually did have adrenaline running through my system. I actually did experience worry and anxiety, even though I wasn't in danger. And one way to think about this is that fear is a belief or a conviction that something that hasn't happened yet is going to happen and it's going to be bad. So when I was in fear, I had a belief that this dog was going to attack me, something bad was going to happen, and it produced this whole negative response in my body. Now the fact was, is I wasn't in danger. Which brings us to the second part. Faith and fear are related. Faith is the understanding, belief, the conviction that something that hasn't happened yet is going to happen, but this time it's going to be something good. And in battling anxiety and fear and worry, at the heart, it's a battle between what we believe and know to be true and some of what we've experienced. And God wants us to be focused on what he says, that he loves us, that he's looking out for us, that he's going to help us, that he's going to help us through this, instead of looking at the fear or the belief that something bad, catastrophic, horrible is going to happen. Jesus said, don't be afraid. Just believe. Well, believe what? Believe that you are loved. Believe that God is faithful. Believe that he'll never let you down. Believe that he'll bring you through this situation. Believe that he'll give you what you need to make it through. Believe that he's going to bring you into your destiny, into your inheritance, into your purpose. When dealing with anxiety and fear and emotion which is at the top 
what we need to know is that our feelings do not accurately measure reality. And so they're not a really good area to be looking at because they distort things. But on the bottom here, our thoughts and our behavior, we can know. The scriptures tell us, think on this. Know this. Believe this. Remember this. That has to do with our thoughts. Then the scriptures tell us, act this way. Don't do that. Speak words of affirmation. Be positive. Act in this way. Our behavior. And when we focus on our thoughts and our behavior and line them up with what God says, what happens is over time it produces a result in our feelings that are consistent with what God has, which is joy, peace, love, and all the positive things. So healthy thinking and healthy acting leads to healthy feeling. And so... We're going to look at some lessons or some, some things we're going to learn from taking out giants that comes out of 1 Samuel chapter 17. And it's the story of David and Goliath, 1 Samuel chapter 17. Amazing, amazing story in the Bible. And first thing what we find out is that Israel is at war with the Philistines. And it's in this valley called the Valley of Elah. And this is a picture in Israel right now, the Valley of Elah. And King Saul with the Israelites were set up on this one mountain here on the left. And the Philistines were encamped on the opposite side of this valley on this other hill. And God had given the, Isra uh, the Israelites this land. And Joshua led the Israelites in and they took out most of the nations that weren't supposed to be there and they were walking in their inheritance but there were some pockets of resistance left and this was one of them so this is later on uh, in Israel's history with King Saul and the Philistines keep harassing the Israelites and so one thing we learn is that if you don't deal, deal with fear in the first place it will come back and it will stay and that's what was happening here and so the two nations are, are about to do battle, and one of the things that we learn from this is before you enter into what God has for you, you have to go through a valley. And so the enemy was encamped on an area that actually belonged to them. And there are places in your life and my life that um, God wants to bring victory in, but right now the enemy is standing in the way. And the chances are is that many times we're going to have to go through a valley, a low time, before we get to that place of victory and reclaim what we have for us. The other thing that we learn from this is that... Um, There are giants on the other side. And that the Philistines had this warrior who was named Goliath. And if you read through the encounter, Goliath was a massive human being. He was just this huge man. The Bible says that, that he was six uh, cubits in a span. A cubit is a, a length of measurement that um, is approximately 18 to 22 inches depending on, on uh, which cubit you use. Hebrews had a cubit, Egyptians had a cubit, Babylonians had a cubit. They all had a different length, but they were between 18 to 22 inches. So if you do the math, six and a half cubits works out to be about nine and a half feet on the low end, upwards of over 11 to 11 and a half feet. This is one big dude. 
And what I like about this picture is that the proportions are accurate. That's about the size proportionately of what a giant of that size would be. And the Bible says that not only was he like huge, but, but that his, and it describes his equipment, his breastplate weighed about 125 pounds. To put that in perspective, the average Roman officer who wore a, a bronze type breastplate weighed about 22 pounds. The knights in the 13th, 14th, 15th century, uh, they wore breastplates that were about 40 to 45 pounds. Goliath had a breastplate that was three times the largest of those. This is a huge man. And what we learn from this is that um, the enemy was not Goliath. The enemy is the Philistine army. Goliath is the face of the enemy. And when we're facing situations and we're in valleys and we're on that place where God wants to bring us through to victory, one of the things that we have to realize is that the first thing that we face is not the real enemy, but it's the face of the enemy. And in this case, it's the Goliath. And what happened? Goliath would come out and he'd walk into the valley and he would challenge the nation of Israel. He would challenge the army. And he would say, um, send one of your men out here, and if he can beat me, we'll leave, and you can have this land. But if I beat him, you will be our slaves, and you will be our servants for the rest of your lives. And what we learn from this picture is that fear wants to make us a slave and wants to make us a servant, and that God wants us to get past fear, get past the giants into a place of wellness and destiny. And fear does some things. Fear distorts the truth. You see, the reality is, is that, the, that the real problem was this Philistine army that was just made of normal average uh, soldiers. And Goliath was a, was a distortion of that. And fear will take some aspect of our situation and will distort it to the place where we can't see anything else but that problem and results in fear. Second thing we learn from this, if you read through the story, is that um, not only did the Israelite army experience fear and terror, but then they were paralyzed and, and, and they weren't doing anything about it. And the Bible says for 40 days, Goliath came. For 40 days, he taunted them. And for 40 days, they did nothing and stayed. And then it got even worse because then he came out and then not only were they now, instead of just paralyzed, then they started to run. And so what we see is a progression that when you tolerate fear, it brings the emotion, but then it brings inactivity. And then after that, we're in a retreat and it keeps us from moving forward. So God wants us to deal with fear. He wants us to deal with anxiety. He wants us to take it on. And fear is the face of the problem, but it's not the problem. The face of the problem looks bigger than it is and it distorts it and God wants us to move forward. And so then what happens? Then we find out that uh, while this Goliath is taunting the Israelites, David shows up. Now David is just a shepherd boy. He's probably a teenager, maybe 14, 15, 16, the youngest of eight sons uh, of Jesse. And David, um, he's not part of this battle. His father sends him with food for his brothers because his brothers are in the army. And so David's bringing food, and he's looking at this site, and he's like, wow, check this out. And David hears Goliath come out. And something different happens, because David had a very different focus than the rest 
of the army. David, instead of focusing on Goliath, David um, says this. He says, how dare this guy, this uh, Philistine, dishonor and disrespect God? How dare he defy the living God? And so David's focus was on the fact that Goliath was challenging God's purposes and destiny. And friends, when we have fear and anxiety in our lives, the fact is this, that there is a purpose and a destiny that God has for you. And whatever your situation is, he wants to do something in your life through that and in that situation. And if we focus on the fear, it's going to paralyze us. But as David, if we start focusing on God in the equation, it's going to help us start to move past this and overcome this giant. And the second thing that, that David does is he starts to focus on the reward. Well, what am I talking about? About. If you read the, uh, what happens is that um, King Saul had offered a reward to the army. He said, anybody who takes this giant out, they're going to get wealth. They get to marry one of my daughters, so they're going to be part of the royal family. And, and their family doesn't have to pay taxes for the rest of their lives as long as they're in the kingdom. So there's reward on the other side of facing a giant. And so David, instead of, face, instead of focusing on the face of the problem, started focusing on the reward. And maybe you're in a situation that causes anxiety, that causes worry. One thing you can start to do is focus on the reward. What's the good thing that's going to happen when you get through this? What's the good thing that's going to be produced in your life when you make it past this challenge? What's the new skill you're going to learn as a result of this responsibility in your workplace with your family? What's the benefit that's going to happen as you come to a place of wellness, of, of wellness with this health issue? Start focusing on the positive outcome and the benefit, and that gets us moving to a place of victory. Another thing that we discover here. So David hears what's going on, and he starts talking about, so what exactly did the king say? Did he really say all this reward? Is that really going to happen? And he's thinking, that is an awesome thing. And then suddenly his brothers show up. And what we learn is that sometimes before you can face your giant, you often have to get past your brothers or your family. And what we see is that David's oldest brother steps in, and instead of encouraging David to follow through to a good place in, in a healthy way, he starts to speak condemnation and negativity over David. He starts putting him down and saying, you know, who do you think you are, kid? How dare you come out here? He starts, the brother starts um, accusing him of having bad motives. You're just here to watch the battle. You're not here to help. And who do you think you are anyway? Then he starts belittling them. You know, you just care for a few sheep. You know, what are you doing out here? And, and he starts putting them down and diminishing uh, what God's done in his life. And this is part of what happens when there's fear. Fear is contagious. Fear is contagious. Fear in the camp started to poison the minds and the hearts of the other people that are there. And sometimes before we face our giant, there's this residual left over in our lives that could be from our family. Maybe we grew up in a family that was negative. Maybe you heard things like, you're never going to be successful. You're always going to be a failure. Uh, you're worth nothing. You're, um, there's no hope for you. Words of negativity, words of destruction, words of condemnation that are inconsistent with God's best. And oftentimes there's a residual of that in our family that can hold us back. Now, David teaches us something. 
Because David doesn't stay and listen to his, uh, his brothers. It says in, in verse 30, it says that then David turned away from his brothers. He turned to someone up, someone else, and he focused on the outcome again. And so if you're experiencing resistance in your life and you're fighting voices from the past and you're, maybe you're fighting words that speak, oh, people have spoken over you, Turn from it and focus on what God says, that there is a good outcome, that there is victory, that there is purpose, that there is destiny, that he uses all things to bring about good in your life. And whatever this challenge is, he's going to use it to bring about good in your life. Not all things are good. There are a lot of horrible things in life. But even in the midst of those horrible things, God will turn them around for good to bring about good in your life. And so David shrugged off the negative words of his family history and he turned to the problem again and he turned to the solution and the reward. Something else we learned from this is that um, faith gets attention and that King Saul heard about this kid who was talking differently than everybody else and so he sent for him. And Saul starts to talk to David and some interesting things happen because in the midst of it, Saul tries to give David his very own royal armor. And what we find is that um, David says, you know, I can't wear this stuff. You know, it doesn't fit me. And it might be your solution, but it's not my solution. And he ends up um, just kind of taking it off and going back to, to what he came with. And what this tells us is that many times God will lead you into a battle, and you already have what it takes. You don't need something that's been missing, but you already have what it takes. He's given you what you need and prepared you for this battle. David showed up. He had what he needed, even though there were others who thought maybe he should do it like this and like that. He already knew that he had what it took, and he was going to go into battle with what he had. Now, sometimes there are situations where maybe you're missing something. Well, we also find out that uh, in this valley was a brook. And in this brook, there were stones. And David had his sling. That's what he came with. But he was missing the stones. But the stones were there. And that's really a picture of the presence in the Spirit of God. That just like Jesus said, I will give you living water that you'll never thirst again. This is a picture of living water in the desert that is a, a, a source of everything we need. And in the midst of this picture of God's presence, David gets the, the ammunition for his sling that he's going to use with God's help to take out this giant. And so the armor, he's not going to use it. He's got the sling, but Saul's not convinced. He's like, kid, you can't do this. And David's like, no, I can do this. And Saul's like, I don't know how you can do this. You're just a boy. You're just a teenager. But this Goliath, he is a seasoned warrior who's been trained for battle since the time he was a youth. And so David does something. He starts giving testimony David starts talking about what God has done in his life. And maybe you're in a situation and the situation is overwhelming. That is a time to recall what God has done for you. What has he led you through? What has he brought you through? Uh, what, what, uh, how has he proved his faithfulness to you? So David starts doing that and he says, King Saul, when I was caring for the sheep, a bear came and attacked the sheep. But I was able to strike it down and kill it and rescue the sheep. And then a lion came and snatched the sheep. And I was able to strike it down and grab it with my bare hands and kill it and save the sheep. He's giving testimony. 
And in the same way with God's help, I'm going to take out this giant. He's, he's making testimony, declaring what God's going to happen. There's something about testimony that releases the power of God. That when we give testimony, it ushers in the presence of God that has a supernatural component to it. The Bible calls it this. It says that the spirit or the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. That when we give a testimony about what Jesus is doing, it ushers in a presence and realm of God's presence that is prophetic in nature or wanting to reproduce, to redo, to do again. Testimony in Hebrew, the root of that contains the idea of doing again. So David is giving testimony that I've taken out a bear, I've taken out a lion, and in the same way, with God's help, we're going to take out Goliath, and there's a supernatural presence of God that, that, that's there in the midst of it. There's a school of ministry in California where they send out students to uh, pray for sick people. And part of the school of ministry is teaching people how to walk in the gifts of the Spirit. And these students learn how to pray for the sick and how to flow in God's presence. And they were at a church where there was this uh, uh, toddler, probably almost three years old, a little boy who had a turned-in foot from birth. Never ran in his whole life. When he tried to run, his foot would, would, would trip him up. And so he'd never run. And they prayed for this young man. And God supernaturally healed him. And his foot turned straight right there in the service. It was awesome. And the people rejoiced. And this little boy was like, wow. And, and he started to run. And he had a little friend with him. And, and she's like, run, Billy, run. And Billy started to just run. And he was running circles. An amazing thing. And so the students came back to their home church. And they were giving testimony about what God had happened. And it was being shared with the congregation. And they were talking about it and just reliving it. And it was just amazing God's blessing. Supernatural power of God. And when you give testimony, it brings the presence of the Lord to do it again. And this lady was in the service and her child similar age was in the nursery who had the same condition and in her heart she said you know what that's for us too and by the end of the service when she went to pick up her daughter guess what that little girl was already walking straight that the Lord had healed her through the power of that testimony but it gets even better. It didn't stop there because there was somebody watching online. They streamed their services online. And this lady in Brazil was watching it online. And she called her daughter who had the same problem and said, in the name of Jesus, walk. And this daughter got up and walked and her foot straightened out. The power of testimony. What has God done in your life? Has he brought you through something? Maybe you're facing a challenge that you've never faced before. He wants to bring you through. Find testimonies of people who have done it. What does the Bible say about those situations? If you're struggling with worry and anxiety, saturate yourself in what God says and what God's done because the power of testimony changes us and releases the supernatural presence of God to do it again. We learn something else. When fear speaks... Speak faith. Well, what am I talking about? Well, David gets ready for this battle. And he starts coming up to the battle line, and he's coming down the hill, and Goliath comes out. And Goliath sees that David, that the Israelites have sent this kid. And with no armor, he's got a sling and a staff. And Goliath is just incensed by this. He's like, how dare you disrespect me? I come here for battle and you send me this kid, a dog with a stick? And so fear speaks. 
Many times when you are about to deal with the challenge in your life, fear speaks. It will say things to you. It will accuse you. It will put you down. And David teaches us that instead of listening to fear speak, instead speak faith. And listen to what David says. David said to the Philistine, this is in verse 45 of chapter 17. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin. But I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will hand you over to me, and I'll strike, down, I'll strike you down and cut off your head. When fear speaks, we need to answer it with faith. Fear says you're not going to make it. Faith says what God says, which is you're going to make it. Why? Because God is in the equation. Fear says that you're going to be defeated. Faith says you're going to be successful because God is in the equation. Fear says you're going to be overwhelmed. Faith says you are more than a conqueror. When we're dealing with anxiety and fear, we need to focus on what God says on faith and on testimony because it does something inside of us that prepares us for action. In fact, our very speech center of our brain is... Um, linked to our central nervous system so that when we speak, the body is sending signals through every nerve to prepare for whatever that action is. So when you say, oh, I'm tired, I can't do it, I'm not going to make it, and you're speaking that out and thinking that, that the body's actually sending impulses physically that says, get ready to be tired, get ready to be, uh, that you can't do it, get ready to just, you know, be exhausted. When we speak the opposite, we say, you know what, I'm going to make it. I'm going to push through. I'm going to be successful. Our body is actually preparing for action. This is, you see this with Olympic athletes, weightlifters. When they come up to lift an incredible weight, they don't say, oh, no, I'm going to be, uh, this, is, this is going to fall on my head and it's going to crush me. No, no, no. They come up and they say, I'm going to make it. I'm going to lift this. I'm going to do it. I'm going to set a record. Faith answers fear. And when we're dealing with worry and anxiety, we need to change how we talk. So that ABC model, thinking how God thinks, talking how God talks, talking with faith, focusing on God's truth, that what he does for one, he does for another. The other thing that we learn from this is that when you face your giant, you need to run into battle and you need to use what you have and leave the result to God. Here's what happened here. In verse 48, it says, As the Philistine, as Goliath moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank into the forehead, and he fell face down on the ground. David ran and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's own sword, drew it out, and killed the Philistine with the sword. When we're facing our giants, we need to run into battle. Be decisive. Go with victory on your mind. Don't go thinking... Um, changing your mind halfway, second-guessing, backing off. Go decisively. David went decisively. He ran to the battle. 
He didn't change his mind. He ran to the battle decisively. There are many people here, and you started to fight this battle, and you started to go, but you've changed your mind, and you've turned away, and it's led to a bad outcome. I remember a story of two swimmers, and they were going to swim to an island that was, seemed like it was close enough for them. And as they started to go out, one of the swimmers um, figured that he couldn't make it, and so he turned around, and the other one kept going. And the one who turned around ended up drowning because it turned out that he was more than halfway there. He was actually two-thirds of the way there. But the distortion of the waves caused him to be indecisive. He, he changed his mind. He turned back, and he ended up swimming a considerable distance more than if he had just continued in the first way. And so there are times where God wants us to be decisive. He wants us to go expecting battle, expecting victory, to put our heart and soul into it, unwavering, and then use what you have. David used his sling. He used what he had. He reached in and got the stone that he got out of the brook, that God will provide what you need in the situation, and he did what he knew how to do. He launched this stone probably like he had done thousands of times before watching the sheep. And this time, he did what he knew, and God took care of the result, because the result met its mark and knocked out the giant. But then we find that David, he didn't stop there. He wasn't content to just knock the giant out. He finished the job. And there are some of us here today, and you've started your journey and you've taken some steps, and you've seen some success, but God wants you to take the next step to knock this thing out and to continue going forward. And what you need to know is that many times you need to be moving in order for the supernatural power of God to be released in your life. That once you start moving, then the power of God is released. It's like a plane that flies. Normally, gravity prevents a plane that an object that weighs thousands of pounds from lifting and from flying. In the natural gravity, there's a law that prevents you from doing that, but there's a greater law called the law of lift, which means that when you're going fast enough with a curved surface, it creates air pressure that allows the plane to fly. This is how planes fly. But in order to activate the law of lift, you have to be moving. You got to hit the accelerator in the plane, and when the plane starts getting fast enough, it hits a point where the momentum of it then creates lift, and the law of lift lets you defy gravity. Friends, many times walking in the supernatural power of God is exactly that. We start with where we're at, we do what we know, we step forward in a way consistent with what God is leading, and then we run to the battle, and with momentum, when we start moving, suddenly faith activates and keeps us above the storm and overcomes the giant. And God wants us to be more than conquerors. He wants us to be more and conquerors. I want to share one testimony and then we'll close. Uh, a number of years ago, uh, 2002, I was teaching at a Bible college and I um, had my counseling practice and I was approached to uh, step in and teach in the Ukraine. That uh, this was in, in November that they were uh, scheduled somebody to be teaching at a seminary in the Ukraine. And the person got sick and they needed someone to take his place. They asked me to do it. 
Now, I was thinking, you know what, there's no way I can do this. How do you go to the Ukraine in like three weeks' notice? I don't have the resources. Oh, it's like, yeah, if you go, you have to pay your own way. You have to buy the plane ticket. You, it's like, how do you do this? And then they needed me to teach for two weeks. It was 80 hours of study, of teaching. I didn't even know if I had uh, uh, material for that. I mean, it was just impossible. And so the person who gave me the invitation, they said, you know, why don't you at least pray about it. I mean, this was a giant. It's like, there's no way I can move through to do this. And went to church three times during the service. I felt the Lord impressing, saying, you need to say yes, you need to say yes, you need to say yes. Long story short, I said yes. But I said, God, you know what? If I'm going to go, you're going to have to sort out the scheduling because I can't balance it with my schedule. You're going to have to um, provide the resources because uh, financially it doesn't work for us. And then um, you're going to have to sort out what, what courses are being taught because I don't have time to, to, to drop 80 hours of lectures. And after saying yes, within a few, within just a few days, the schedule changed. It was no longer at Christmas. It was now in February during my March break where I had two weeks off to teach. Without asking anybody, two different churches approached me and offered one to pay for my ticket and the second to cover the cost of me not working for the week that I was there. And the Bible college had called and said, "Um, what courses do you have? I gave them the courses and two of the courses that I had already taught, they said that fits perfectly in our curriculum. Why don't you teach those things? That God supernaturally brought it about, but I had to be moving first. That first we have to move and then the supernatural power of God is released. And God opened the door for that. It was an incredible experience. Went to the Ukraine. I mean, just miracle after miracle. Just getting into the country was a miracle on its own. And, and we don't have time to share that. But again, God provides. He brought us through. He brought me through the border carrying medicines and money and uh, tools and resources, Christian uh, resources that were from the sponsoring agency that sent me passed, me, passed me through the corrupt border, got me on the plane. I mean, it was just incredible, God opening doors. When we're moving in faith, and what God says, God releases his resources. If the worship team would come, we're going to close. Let's stand together and let's ask God to step in to our situation. Maybe you're here and you've got a giant or giants in your life. The Lord loves you and he wants you to be more than a conqueror. And as the worship team starts to play, maybe you can close your eyes. And what is the situation that you're facing? Maybe it's a health issue. God wants you healthy and well. That Jesus' broken body is for our healing. That even now we speak life over those situations. Life over infections. Life over disease. Bless them, Lord. Maybe it's a... Uh, an, uh, an issue of provision, financial resources. Maybe you need a job and you don't have one. You know what? God is going to open a door because he wants you to prosper. He wants you not only to have enough, but more than enough. Maybe you've got a family situation or responsibilities that are overwhelming. That's a giant. He can give you the strength to make it through. Maybe there are resources that you need that are missing. 
By the power of his living water, the Holy Spirit, he will lead you to those resources and release them in your life. Lord Jesus, we come to you now with the giants in our lives. And just as you walked with David, Lord, you're walking with us. And that we are in covenant with you. That you have given us an assurance that you are for us and that you are with us. And so, Lord, we focus on your presence and put you in the equation right now. And now, we, God, we ask for your presence to do what only you can do. Free us from worry, anxiety, and fear. In Jesus' name. Worry, anxiety, fear, you have no place here for the battle is the Lord's. Bless each one, Jesus. May each one sense your presence. Go in love and in peace. Amen and amen.